Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, July 29th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Doing very well, thanks. I'd always just give an answer. How are you doing? Oh, wow. Throwing it right back. I'm feeling good, man. It's draft night. It's transaction season across North America in the sporting world. So we just have a flurry of news and I am drinking it all in. And I am so excited for this upcoming long weekend uh, up here in Canada with the Ontario Civic Holiday. I'm feeling festive. That's awesome to hear. I'm likewise loving the rotation from armchair quarterback to armchair GM that happens every offseason. It's been entertaining to follow all the draft and free agency news so far, and there's so much more to anticipate. Absolutely. I think we got to get right in it because we got a lot to cover before even we take our break and come back for our, uh, I guess we'll do first round draft reactions. I don't know how long this draft is going to go. Hopefully they'll keep it tighter than the NHL draft. Um, but really excited for the NBA draft tonight, not just for the picks themselves, but also for the other trades that could be coming in uh, through the wire. So let's kick it off. We got Tokyo 2020 update, still coin Tokyo bros until we find something um, maybe a little less cringy. Uh, we've got a little bit of football stuff, give you an update on the Aaron Rodgers situation uh, and then talking hockey, a huge day in free agency a nba-esque type free agency from the nhl people moving everywhere lots and lots to catch up on we'll have our winners and losers um and then i guess not really much in baseball there's a ton of transactions going on but i've just there's been so much to cover and i've been busy so i've, I've lost a handle on on some of the stuff going on in baseball so it'll be very short with that and then we'll have some basketball storylines to get into before the draft tonight in about an hour's time here as we're recording. So let's go Tokyo bros. Uh, we'll start with my reaction of the week. I got to give it to Canada's Margaret Maggie McNeil uh, winning gold in the 100 meter butterfly, a fantastic swim by her and the, uh, the classic turnaround. Everyone has a friend who uh, will sometimes not wear their contacts and they, they need glasses, so it, it takes them an extra second to, to bring in the focus. She looks up at the board, realizes her name's at the top of the list, and the uh, gasp of excitement and truly a, an awesome moment. And uh, Canada's first of two gold that they have won so far at these Olympic Games. And so really, really special moment. Wanted to shout out Maggie. She's from here in London. Uh, actually, I live very close to the pool that she used to train at. So a really cool little uh, connection there. The next thing I wanted to do was firstly congratulate Sunisa Lee on her gold medal in the women's all-around gymnastics final. Uh, fantastic. It came down really tight at the end. Um, I think there was 0.3 separating first through third going into the floor uh, routine, which was the deciding uh, apparatus. And Ms. Lee with an awesome performance and she takes home the gold for America, who has now won gymnastics individual all around five Olympics in a row. Everyone assumed that it was going to be Simone Biles. She had to pull out for mental health reasons. Uh, I also heard she had a case of the twisties. My girlfriend who used to be a gymnast explained to me that it's a little bit like vertigo where gymnasts lose themselves in the air when they're doing their 
uh, tricks and it can be very dangerous. And so you have to imagine that, that uh, this enormous pressure that not many athletes face really had a contributing factor into that. And so um, really tough for Simone, but when it's something that can be dangerous to your own health and you, you do got to put yourself first and she's accomplished more than enough to prove herself and her teammate really gets the chance to jump into the spotlight and, and win a gold medal. And so uh, congrats to the Americans there on that accomplishment. Next on my list is Penny Alexiak going back to Canada here uh, for the next couple. She becomes the most decorated summer Canadian Olympian already in history at the age of 21, <laughs> winning her uh, bronze in the 200 meter freestyle. She hasn't even swam her base, best race yet, which is going to be tonight. So she has a chance to add to her lead now as the, the most decorated. Uh, she's 21. She's about to race the 100 meter uh, freestyle, which is her strongest event. And she has been far and away like the best competitor we could ask for. And like I said on the last pod, she is should be and deserving of the praise over uh, her brother who gets a ton of uh, love in the NHL, but, but she is definitely the better athlete in the family. And then finally, I wanted to touch on basketball because that's what we do mostly on this podcast. USA just obliterating Iran in their comeback game. Slovenia obliterating Japan in their second game. Luca having some crazy games so far. I think he's averaging in the mid thirties between two games. Uh, he's been really sensational, but the Canada women's team picking up their first win of the tournament. They got upset by Serbia. I guess you could call it an upset. All these games have been tight, but they get a big win against South Korea, dominating the glass on both ends. And now they have a pretty decisive game against Spain upcoming in their group stage. And if they win that one, they still have a chance to clinch the group and give themselves a good path uh, into towards the, uh, the medal matches. So looking forward to the basketball. It's been wonderful. I was watching Argentina, Spain today. It's just so refreshing. The game moves quickly. The ball movement's awesome. Um, it's super physical. And I've been really appreciating international basketball. It's been a while since I've got to watch it. So that's going to be it for my Tokyo Bros. Max, I don't know if you've been seeing anything in, in the Olympic Twitter sphere that really stuck out to you that you want to give a shout out. Yeah, this has pretty well been a Tokyo Bro segment, eh? <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to the uh slovenia going up against argentina and just in general in basketball for when that competition gets more fierce particularly when the team usa's back goes against the wall in elimination game against a competitive threatening top level team i've been loving everything about canadian women's swimming program it feels like we're in the powerhouse discussion based on how frequently we're getting to the podium at least on the women's side of things uh, and think if it, the age and fact that I know nothing about gymnastics really complicates my view on the Simone Biles thing and it's hard not to think about it in conjuncture with Naomi Osaka's earlier withdrawal and it seems to be turning into a greater discussion about mental health and athletes that I'm conflicted on, again, mostly because age and gymnastics puts me in a place of not really being able to comment on Biles' ability to compete. And I don't want to 
put this automatically in the same camp as the Osaka thing, but maintain my view about like the best part of being the best comes with being able to handle men mental pressure. Um, and then I guess the segment going forward should be called Tokyo Bros or not called because it should be Tokyo Gals because the Canadian women have purely been the successful athletes at these Olympics. So uh, shout out to the ladies. They've been excellent. And uh, that's going to be it for this segment on our catch up at the Olympics. Um, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back for some football fan cake. And we're back for a pit stop in the football fan cave. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is back in Green Bay, pulled up, did not retire, thankfully, for football fans. Um, and it seems like they've restructured the final year on his contract. It's not about the money for him. He made that evident uh, in his press conference where he very much ripped to shreds the, the Green Bay management. Um, but he is back, and he is going to play out this season. Uh, Green Bay, in an attempt to maybe salvage the relationship, did go out and acquire Randall Cobb, who was one of Rogers' favorite receivers five, six, seven years ago. Um, so they are going to make one last run. It does feel a little last dancey. Like I said, uh, Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers putting a photo of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen both on their stories. So it seems like they are both looking to make one final run here together in green Bay. And then who knows what the future holds after that for both of them, they'll be on the move. And, and if I'm the green Bay organization, obviously you want to keep those guys because they are game changers. They are elite at their position, but if they're going to leave for nothing, then you got to maybe scope out trying to get some assets back in return and, and move them during the season. It's tough to move a quarterback though, because he's got to learn the playbook, um, but definitely could see, Adams getting moved at some point, but that would absolutely seal the deal. Aaron Rodgers might just quit on the field if that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting dilemma. I, you'd think maybe they'd have learned their lesson and it's better to have that last dance final run than piss off Rodgers, piss off the fan base, and ch chances are whatever there's not that much value they can get to make doing both those things worthwhile. It, it would have to be like, let's be honest. Once, once Rogers is gone and some of the, our other better players are gone, this is a team that has some serious rebuilding to do. And it would have to be value that like takes them out of that hole. I feel like to make that kind of self-sabotage worthwhile this coming season. Well, and, and it's, and it's not even, an on-field rebuild, but also a reputational rebuild where now team, other teams, other players are looking at this situation and seeing that, I mean, no one actually knows what has happened, but obviously two of the top players in the league are very upset. And so that resonates with other guys. And so Green Bay already not a prime free agent destination could struggle even more to, to find talent in the off season, unless they're going through the draft. So you would be looking at draft compensation if you were going to trade either one of those guys or both. All right, we're fueled up back on the road. This is going to be a long one. Now we have jumped into talking hockey and uh, free agency in the NHL over the last two days has been a wild ride to say the least. Uh, I thought we would 
choose from the endless list of signings and kind of pick out some of our highlights, winners, losers um, from free agency. Max, if you have any particular signing in mind that you want to talk about, please lead off here for me. Man, there's so much. I don't think of this in terms of winners and losers so much as riskier and relatively less risky gambles and moves and we really don't know until next season starts who the winners and losers are or maybe that's just my way of copping out because I really can't tell on a lot of these deals the biggest one of course probably the one with the biggest price tag next to it Dougie Hamilton going to New Jersey because this is a guy who could have or whose career was started with a pick originally owned by our Toronto Maple Leafs, a player I've followed with a little more interest throughout his career. And it's nice to see him get paid at what he was always projected he could be, but he's really going to have to go out and earn and prove that. So that's a huge gamble for this devil's team and a big statement because it does it's the kind of move that makes you take a second look at this team and look at the young core of talent that they've assembled over the past few years through draft picks look at a guy named dougie hamilton moving as a flag being planted in the ground and ask yourself could this be one of the breakout teams turnarounds uh yeah I'm not convinced either. Then I think the two easiest winners for me are the teams that just shored themselves up, the Tampa Bay Lightning and Vegas Golden Knights, both making relatively small moves, but re-signing Tampa Bay Lightning, locking up point long-term, getting some smaller players to some smaller deals and letting Coleman and a couple other pieces go. But I think this a team that now has its core locked up for even longer is still going to be threatening. And I love that Vegas was able to get Alec Martinez signed real quick, as well as Kale Yarncrook and pick up Evgeny Dadanov. I, I can't remember who the goalie they picked up to replace Fleury was, but shored that up as well. All right. There have been so many that I, I can't even come to your aid there. I feel like I'm drowning at sea a little here, so <laughs> I, I won't stop drowning, but I'll let you carry the load for a sec. Okay. Um, I have so many different ways I can go, uh, so I'll just I'll say first winner, Colorado. They get Landeskog on a long deal. Not It's too long, in my opinion, but it's the price you have to play to get him back at a decent number. Um, and so their top three guys, I believe are like nine, seven and, and McKinnon's on 6.5, something like that. So really affordable top line, one of the best lines in hockey and your captain's locked up again, long-term that's fine. And you're willing to take the, the, it even it's the years that they overpaid on, not the actual turn, uh, not the actual salary. So you can stomach that. Um, and then they do lose, Philip Grubauer to the, uh, to the Seattle Kraken, who are going to be my other winner. Um, but they do pick up Darcy Kemper to replace Grubauer, uh, 
who when healthy, it was excellent for Arizona last season, all-star quality um, and still relatively young. So that keeps their tandem in, intact with two really young, talented goalies in Kemper and Francis. And so um, Colorado just for the most part hung in there and they also re-upped Kale McCarr for a big extension. So that's really big for them as well. Uh, I'll go right into Seattle. I think they're a winner uh, because a, they get another goalie to add. Um, they give Vanacek back to the Capitals for a third. So they basically get a third round pick out of the Capitals for nothing. Um, they managed to also grab Jane Schwartz for five-year contract, 27.5 million. And then Alex Venberg, uh, they stole him from Columbus three years, 13.5. So they do end up using a lot of that salary cap when people were wondering about, and they get a solid D, they get a solid goalie, get a solid forward. Um, it really starts to round out their roster nicely in terms of uh, what they'll have um, and some good asset management, getting a third uh, from Washington. I would go the next winner, I guess I'd go with Boston, <laughs> which pains me, but they always seem to do well at these things. Uh, I was reading somewhere Toronto got had a chance at Hall or Felino, and they spent a first and fourth to get Felino, um, who then walks for nothing. Boston spends no draft capital. They get Taylor Hall and Nick Felino. Well, they did spend the draft capital on Taylor Hall, but they get both of them. Uh, Felino on a pretty sizable contract. Um, definitely something Leafs couldn't afford, but because Wash, uh, Boston's top guys take pay cuts. They can afford to do it. They bring in Felino. Uh, they also get Linus Allmark uh, to be their tandem now with Tuka Rask, which is a fantastic pickup. Uh, four years, 20 million. And is then, Rask uh, Eric, signed? Not yet, but okay. now they have the number one, right? Linus Allmark had a great season in Buffalo, which is what's so important. Um, so they do have a number one there in case Rask decides to move somewhere else. And then Eric Halla at two years, 4.75, which is a little pricey, but again, they can afford that a good piece of business for them. So they're again, deep, uh, deep team. That's going to have another great run. Ah, uh, I think there, yeah, there are a couple teams here where like you have to let it play out. So like Chicago made a flurry of moves, pardon my pun there. <laughs> um, Seth Jones, Marc-Andre, they move, they get Tyler Johnson, they move Zadorov to Calgary. Like it, they're all over the place, but it's really tough to see if they're winning or losing. Um, overall, just I think all of their business stuff doesn't, it just pales in comparison to what the real issue there is. And I don't need to jump into that. Um, and then another team is Vancouver. They basically get rid of all of the contracts bagging them down right now to then have this same issue three years from now. That's essentially what they're doing with the OEL, with the Connor Garland uh, contracts. They get rid of Schmidt to Winnipeg for a third. I think actually Winnipeg out of all the Canadian teams probably had the best day because they barely did anything. Um, I think I'm going to give the general loser of free agency to Canadian hockey fans uh, because Vancouver, I think, doesn't get better, and they just postpone their troubles. Uh, Calgary spent way too much money on Blake Coleman. Six years, $30 million is preposterous for a third-line player. Um, <laughs> uh, Toronto, we'll get to them later because I'm sure we'll want to go a little deeper on them. 
Montreal is solid, but they just get worse by the fact that uh, they lose to no to the LA Kings. They bring in Mike Hoffman. I don't know if that makes you better. It just makes you smaller, more offensively minded. Weber's probably not going to play. They replace him with Savard, which is a solid pickup, and they get Cedric Paquette, but I just don't know if they get any better there. Uh, and then Edmonton is my big, like, what is going on? They trade Ethan Bear, and they sign Cody Cece to four years, $13 million. What? They sign Zach Hyman to a seven-year deal, which is – which with some big money as well, like just some big, big contracts, which are going to be great because they have Connor McDavid, but just like the CC one blew my mind. Why would you not just pay the extra to have Adam Larson who is good for you? And, but they let him walk to Seattle and they get CC instead. Um, Yeah, I know I'm all over the place with transactions. Like when we start the season, we might need a refresher on where everyone is Uh, so much to talk about. Max, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, and I flash back to when we were doing our previews for the NHL season and we had to cut about four or five times because I kept predicting team success or failure based on players that no longer played for them and you had to correct me. I, those are most of the team level moves that seem worth talking about. I think the Calgary situation really interests me because... Most of what the discussion's been these two, three months going into free agency, going back to March even, has been which of the big names is going to walk. Goudreau, Monaghan, maybe even Kachuk. One of these players, it seems like, wouldn't be there come the start of the season. And I think Coleman might be the kind of guy you need along those players in your top six. But at that value, at that price, that's uh, makes it seem even more like they're going to have to dump one of their bigger contracts. Although I guess Giordano being gone does open up some cap room, but that also leaves a massive hole on their blue line, which I'm not sure if Zadorov will or won't be able to address. Speaking of addressing holes on the blue line, uh, Carolina Losing Dougie Hamilton, uh, what they traded away, Jake Bean, picking up Ethan Bear, as you mentioned, from Edmonton, and then, of course, Tony D'Angelo. Let's just, let's just keep going. Yeah. Let's just keep going. Let's not even touch it. Blue line um, <laughs> yeah, they're on my loser list, too. The goaltending, they lose Nedeljkovic for basically nothing. And, and Steve Eisenman laughing his way to the bank and then go and turn around and spend six and a half combined on Freddie Anderson and anti Ranta, which is a decent tandem, but you had a fantastic young goalie that you let walk. And he wasn't at like he, what was he asking for? Probably around what Freddie got. And then, so you could even done Nadelkovich and Ranta. Wouldn't that be affordable? Or you could have done, I just, didn't understand it, and I don't think their goaltending situation gets any better than Mrazic Reimer from last year. Um, so Carolina just kind of looks to be spinning in circles, a little bit leafsy in the fact that they seem to can't get over the hump, and nothing they're doing at this point is uh, giving any confidence to the fan base. For sure. I Maybe I'm still too overvaluing Hoffman, but as a Leafs fan, scary to hear him going to Montreal. 
and then I think the last big, big non-Leafs related thing would be Patrick Laine signing a one-year $7.5 million contract for Columbus. I was quiet at one point because I was checking he is still an RFA when that one expires, but I imagine after that he goes to unrestricted free agency. So I, it seems like another situation of just pushing the same shit forward and knowing you're going to have to deal with it. Uh, if he has a season similar to the one he just had, probably easier for him to be moved if he goes back to his old self, has huge goal scoring numbers and point production, then the situation gets a lot more interesting. I don't know if he'd want to play for Columbus or not, if he's able to play at his best under this team. A huge part of that will depend on who the head coach they have and what his preferred system is. Also, how he gets along with Jakub Voracek could be very interesting. I like that. Yeah, it puts Columbus in a very different state than the team he arrived at. And there's at least one other elite offensive player he'll get to be alongside. And they still have Max Domi. Yes. So that actually turns out to be a decent line. Yeah, so that situation, just a combination of things that can't be a boring story. Uh, I lied. Speaking of goal scorers and big contracts, we got one more to touch home on. Alexander Ovechkin extends his tenure with the Washington Capitals with a five-year deal, which is the number of years most people project that a healthy Ovechkin could challenge Wayne Gretzky's goal scoring record in. Needs to average 33 goals per season uh, to meet Gretzky's record by the end of his fifth regular season on that contract. What do you think? He's got it? (sighs) Man, that is going to be a lot of money to be paying a 44-year-old. 44? He'll be 40 at the end of it. Will he? Yes. Where did I see 45? Maybe Yager. They're talking Yager. (laughs) I guess. I I thought he was older than he was. Okay. I had his age bumped up. Yeah, he can totally do it. He'll be out there with a cane slapping pucks on the power play. (laughs) He'll use his stick to get himself to his favorite spot and just sit there. (laughs) He'll still have it, too. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Let us get to the Leafs, shall we? Um, I'm going to go through the list of signings here slash transactions made since July 28th. uh, And you tell me, Max, how many names on this list you've heard of before. Pavel Gogolev. Nope. Brett Sini. Nope. Brennan Manel. Nope. Alex Biega. Nope. Peter Mrazek. Yes. Carl Dahlstrom. Nope. Curtis Gabriel. Nope. David Camp. Nope. Michael Bunting. Nope. Michael Amadio. Nope. And Josh Hosang. Yes. Yeah. So two out of so they 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 get the goalie, right? Three years, 3.8 per. Um, which is fine compared to some of the overpayments we saw in free agency in the end. I can stomach that contract. 
and a Mrazic Campbell tandem is solid. It's very solid. It's, I, it's, yeah. I love the Mrazic pickup, knowing you're going to be heading into a tandem because he's just coming off a season of he's real contention with Reimer, yeah. with uh, Needle, you know. Nedeljkovic. Yes. Yeah. So that's the biggest worry I have anytime a goaltending tandem is coming, the yeah. confidence and the chemistry of that. Jack Campbell coming off playing himself into a starting position and a really unclear season but he showed a lot of optimism and positivity Masaryk coming out of that situation I'm really happy with that move for goaltending at that price if you're gonna have b-level goaltending at least make sure you're paying a b-level salary then in other terms, uh, apparently they still are withholding some more salary just to make sure they can try and grab a top six kind of versatile left left wing is really shallow on this team. I'll be blunt. It's it's very shallow. And that is the position of need that they'll look at to fill out the rest of their roster. Um, in the meantime, I guess I'll talk on some of the guys who have a chance of making the starting lineup. Michael Bunting, uh, left winger, got a bit of skill, nothing too exciting. He could play as high as the first line now with timing gone, which seems ridiculous. Uh, David Camp, Blackhawks fans actually love this guy. He does feel um, this is way overshooting what he's like, but it is like a, a Deneau type player where you're not getting any offense from him, basically. I guess the more appropriate comparison would be Riley Nash, but this dude is a physical freak of nature. He's physical. He plays great defensive hockey. Um, great on faceoffs. When Taze went down last season, uh, the Blackhawks relied on him for a ton of key faceoffs. Um, so they finally have their center that they've been missing on the penalty kill for five, six years now. So that's a big pickup. Um, I'd say either Alex Biega or Brennan Manel may get in the lineup as defensemen, just as depth there. I believe Biega's right-handed, which automatically gives him some value. But overall, I mean, not much for them to work with, but I'm a little bit disappointed in the Leafs free agency. Uh, I guess the, the silver lining is they don't overspend on anyone like some other teams did. Uh, I don't know what we were expecting in terms of transactions. I wish they would have got something for Hyman. Um, I wish they would have done a little bit better on the left wing with value adds. Um, cause you know, Corey Perry was out there apparently after signing with Tampa, Eric Hollow was out there. Felino was, I guess, not available, a little too expensive. Tyler Johnson was out there. Like there were options. Um, and it looks like they couldn't get anything special. It seems like players don't necessarily want to come to Toronto to play, which is really disappointing. Um, yeah. So overall, not too enthused. I imagine there's still going to be some changes made. This feels like probably the last shot at a season that Dubas has. So we could see him make a ton of moves that are not my problem. It's the next guy's problem. Um, and so a little worried about that, but this team is going to definitely look better than it is right now. Uh, and it has to, quite frankly. The only credit I'll give Dubas is he ended up proving a lot of us wrong by protecting Hall, not because of, Hall as a player, it's truly that he's a right-handed defenseman on a 
salary that's less than $3 million, and those didn't seem to exist at all in this free agency. Right-handed demon, just defensemen in general, got paid. Like, unbelievably paid. Alex Goligoski got one year $5 million. Like, it is ridiculous. And so the fact that you have a controllable right-handed defenseman, even if he's not top, top tier, is super, super valuable. And so it does make sense that he made that protection. Yeah, if everything I've been hearing him say is my neck is on the line this season, but I'm putting it out there with confidence that our boys are going to step up. We're, we can really already fast forward to the first round of the playoffs in the year 2022 and say this is when the Leafs season or the action and or inaction is determined as a success. It's a foregone assumption that we have a roster that makes it into the playoffs comfortably. And it's just a question of how we get over that hump. The goaltending was the biggest hole and it's not the most confident or resounding of solutions, but it's an affordable one. And in the position we're in, that's probably the best we can do. And I think ultimately I agree with the sentiment that we've put a lot of time, energy, loss into acquiring the core group of forwards that we have, and we have to give them every chance to earn their stay and prove that they can be the best lineup in the NHL. You've got to get the right group of guys around them, but not pulling the trigger prematurely on anything big. And giving these guys every chance you can is the strategy I also agree with. So big picture, I'm fine with Dubas's actions. Yeah, did it, it, it all? It's all going to come down to the core four. That's it. Core four and goaltending, right? Everything else is going to change, but it's got to come down to them. And quite frankly, right now, I don't buy it. They're really going to have to to get me back in because now what five, this will be the sixth season now with all of them. And we've got nothing to show for it. Truly. Like he, Austin Matthews won the rocket Richard this year and no one could care less. It's, it's what are you going to do for me come springtime? Uh, and that's all I have left to say about the Leafs. Yeah. That's kind of the hilarious thing. I, I have no expectations for the regular. I have no hopes for the regular season, but high expectations. I'm expecting a comfortable playoff finish, and I'm expecting top-level production from our top guys. And by that, I mean more than a point a game from Matthews, Marner, and close to that from Nylander, Tavares. So it, it does feel a bit unfair to say, but I guess... On the other hand, they could have a really shitty, all four of them, regular season relatively. And as long as we make the playoffs... Then we're not making the playoffs. Most likely. <laughs> but in, I'm saying in the hypothetical situation where they all perform below expectations and the Leafs are still in the playoffs, still the exact same situation where I don't care, now show me what you've got. So... Yeah. There's going to be one spot. Because Tampa, Boston, Florida, all making the playoffs. Florida, maybe not, not that ironclad, but... Mm, I would say so. 
they're only going to get better after the battle scars from the Tampa series. It's yeah. Yeah. And then, so it's Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto probably are the three teams fighting for that last spot in this division with Munitz back and we should win that, but I am very stressed. Okay. Man. Let's move on to baseball. Go for it. All right. Uh, the Jays should be sellers and Shohei Otani is the best thing that's happened to baseball in the last 10 years. That has been the baseball bit. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back for some NBA storylines. And we're back sports next door. Myself, Max, with me, Owen, who I know is eagerly anticipating the NBA draft to kick off. We're about 10, 15 minutes away from that, it being 7.47 p.m. as I speak. But we got a little basketball storyline, some unofficial trade news before I believe it becomes fully official at 8 p.m. when the trade freeze is lifted. A lot of action already, though, confirmed and unconfirmed in the basketball world for trade zone. Uh, I will talk confirmed stuff, and then you can go ahead and talk unconfirmed stuff. How's that sound? Love it. That's basically our energy. Boom. Two Woj bombs. One yesterday, or two days ago, one today. A couple days ago, Memphis sending Jonas Valanciunas, the 17th pick and the 51st pick to the New Orleans Pelicans for Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe. 10th pick and the 40th pick and a 2022 protected first round picks a lot lot to digest there um it works out in the end for both teams new orleans had to get off the absolutely brutal contracts of eric bledsoe and steve adams way overpaid for those guys memphis is a team that you know will be able to take those guys and turn them into pretty valuable players even if they're overpaying them and they do have the cap space to do it because so many of their endless guys are all young on pretty low paying contracts right now they've just got a ton of young dudes that uh has allowed them to have some some salary cap space jv it seems like right now new orleans is wanting to have him shooting more threes which on first glance is like okay he shoots one a game on average but that's not where he's best and so once again your new new orleans you're not really solving the problem of clogging all of zion's space uh, we'll see how things go. JV is a worse defender and new Orleans already can't stop anything. So in that regard, I really don't understand it. And they're moving backwards in the draft. Um, Memphis moving up in the draft, taking on some bad contracts, which will hamper their rebuild a little bit, but it does seem like they're going with a longer term view as opposed to new Orleans who new Orleans is like, we have to move this now so we can win. Now Zion wants to win. Otherwise he's going to leave. Whereas Memphis is saying we can still take on these contracts because we're still not trying to win and compete for two, three more years. And so let's move up in the draft. Let's get a guy who we want. There's rumors that they may even move up further in the draft. They've got so many young, they have too many guys at this point that when they actually do start competing, there's going to be a ton of guys wanting a role that they just won't be able to fit together. So it's kind of one of those things where you give up two, three assets for one really big one. Um, so it seems like they like Josh Giddy from Australia around the 10th pick, but you could see them move up even more. I'm sure they are a contender to do so, uh, which is something I'm looking forward to seeing in about 10 minutes time. The other Woj bomb happening just a couple hours ago, Woj essentially just confirming what everyone already assumed. Cade Cunningham believed to be the selection of the Detroit Pistons at number one. Woj 
obviously he rarely makes a mistake. So you can be pretty confident knowing who's going to be called number one tonight. Uh, that's the decision Detroit has settled on, which I'm surprised they let that leak out because it does give teams a bit of an upper hand. Now, if you're Houston and you wanted Cunningham or you were giving Intel that you didn't want Cunningham and you want someone else. Now you just, everything's a little bit more clear at two. It means that, you know, Mobley or Jalen Green's going to be available. So if there's a team that really wants him, you leverage that number two pick really high. Now it's got a ton of value because you can say, Oh, you want Mobley. Well, we'll just take him." or it's right here. You can give us a King's ransom and come and get him, Right. Cause you know, he'll be there. Whereas before they hadn't leaked Cade, there was still a possibility that they could take a couple of other of those guys. Um, so just, I'm surprised that they let that get out, but Woj never lies, man. Woj bombs for life. All right, Max, go. I almost spit my drink out reading this trade <laughs> offer that started off oh this God. headline. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia 76ers shopping around Simmons seemingly more aggressively. As Toronto Raptors fans, I felt personally assaulted by this trade offer. They tried to get OG Ananobi, Fred Van Fleet, and I believe the first overall pick in tonight, which is valued at fourth overall. Sorry, I meant first round pick, not first overall. I Contract length and cap hit in mind, I don't think I'd take Simmons for OG straight up. This trade was offensive to me to read, and it sounds like every team's been getting that treatment. They asked for the Wiggins-Wiseman 714 pick, along with two future first-rounders from the Warriors. They asked for four first-round draft picks and three pick swaps and a younger player from the Spurs. I think something about the Cavaliers like pretty much every young player they have and more first round picks I think Woj the man himself you just named reporting Philadelphia looking for a Harden-esque trade package which Daryl Morey must have a short memory because even the Rockets couldn't get a Harden-esque trade package for Harden they just had to settle for a ton of draft picks without too much of the young talent well, they could have if it had been a trade to the Sixers. Maury was willing to give up Simmons plus picks, but the, the Rockets were too proud to send him uh, back to Maury. What I would say on this one is, honestly, find someone in your life, whoever it may be, that values you as highly as Daryl Maury values Ben Simmons because his value had never been lower after the end of the buffs. And the fact that he's asking for the number of picks and the number of assets is frankly ridiculous. Uh so shout out to Daryl Morey, man. Have have a support network in your life that values you as much as he values Simmons. That's that's love right there. Yeah, this is my favorite storyline heading into draft night. So what I'll be watching, reading headlines saying they're really looking to make a move on Simmons tonight. Simmons and his agent ready for Ben to get moved. Uh, is Are these public trade offers we're hearing about just posturing and... In reality, as soon as Maury hears a halfway realistic deal, he's going to take it immediately. I'm not sure, but I honestly thought Harden was never going to get trade hearing what was being asked for him at the time. And that happened at a lot more of the value than I thought, but I think 
I don't think Harden tanked his own trade value in terms of on the court production, though he certainly did it in other ways. But Simmon, the way Simmons' trade value has tanked since that series, qualitatively different. I'm going to be shocked if he gets trade for much more than, I'll say, two first rounders. That's yeah. That that, that even seems value high. you could hope for. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Really quickly, Westbrook deal uh, with the Lakers. What's your thoughts? We got three minutes. Yes, I gave my thoughts earlier. I. I can see Westbrook working out on the Lakers as a regular season workhorse. Takes a ton of the load off Davis, James. He lets them be healthy going into the playoffs. That gives them a whole regular season to do two things. One, figure out how they want to use Westbrook in the fourth quarter in clutch time and to make up for his shortcomings. Two, get his ego to understand what the pecking order is on this team and that he would in fact be option number three and i think there are a lot of interesting things you could do with a combination of size athleticism and playmaking between those three and i'm in favor for it but it is obviously a gamble yeah you already know where i stand no shooting um yeah, I I don't get it. He's he's not a good fit. But alas, it's something that may happen, and I imagine there are going to be some fireworks tonight. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I want to shout out all the young men who are about to realize their dreams tonight, because in the end, the night is about them, and it's something truly special. So I'm looking forward to some of the great moments that we get out of this draft. Um, it may end up being one we remember for a very long time. So looking forward to it. When we come back, we'll time travel into the future and have our NBA draft reactions locked and loaded for y'all. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to take a break for now. And we're back, Sports Next Door. Myself, Max, with me, Owen. We're 15-ish picks through the NBA draft. Some expectations met, some overturned. Here to run quickly through what's happened so far and maybe even a little more that happens as we speak. But starting off, surprising no one with the number one pick, the Pistons go with Cade Cunningham. Absolutely. I love this pick. Um, it was, we knew eight hours ago from Woj that this was going to be the pick, but nonetheless, the Pistons have their guy of the future, a cornerstone piece. He is so versatile. He fits in everywhere with this team. He's already been talked about over and over again so there's not much more i can add at this point but uh consensus number one and they didn't overthink it they went with the guy who they know is going to be a great player um and yeah that's pretty much all there is to it <laughs> i loved uh malika was trying to make motorcade the uh the name i think that actually works motor city cade cunningham not bad not yeah. bad um and a great moment in his interview where he had to put on the sunglasses and then he goes, which camera am I looking at? Proceeds to look at the wrong camera and go, Detroit, we out here, we coming, I'm ready. Uh, thought that was a funny moment. So shout out to Cade. Congrats on being the number one pick. Um, 
Kendrick Perkins called him the most complete player uh, in a draft coming out of a draft since LeBron James, which is obviously you love to use superlatives in the NBA draft. They comp people to NBA superstars all the time, but the expectations are high for this one. Yeah, and an advantage maybe for a Pistons team that really has strengths nowhere is you do just look for the best value player and you don't worry about them overshadowing anyone already on the roster. Maybe some of that consideration going in for Houston at number two, already having Christian Wood, a big, helping make the decision a little easier. They go with Jalen Green over Evan Mowgli. And, and we saw this coming a little bit. People had, had expected Mobley initially, and for good reason. Like we've talked about many times, Mobley, like on paper, should be probably the number one pick. Uh, but teams in the modern NBA are looking for something a little bit different, and Houston decided to go with a guy who can just absolutely shoot the lights out. He's got the potential to be that number one scorer, like a Kobe, like a Devin Booker, like a... I don't know who else you want to throw in there. Like the Dame's top scorers, Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, stuff like that. He has the potential to be that level scorer. Like a and James so Harden. you go with the ceiling and you go with a guy that fits with Christian Wood a little bit better. Um, and can't, I can't say too much about this pick as well. It's solid. Like, and, and they saw a lot of what he did with the G league Ignite, which may transfer over to the NBA more so than college. So Houston fans got to be happy with that pick unlike that pick then that puts the Cavs in a bit of a bind where they already have Jared Allen but Mobley as you said could be a number one overall pick they can't ignore that value and go with it leaving their roster a little big they had a lot of time to consider moving down in the draft I'm sure they received a lot of offers plenty that we heard about I'm sure even more that we didn't but at the end of the day Mobley's their guy that's that's a really actually interesting piece that we've seen from this draft. No trades in this draft at all after so many mocks had Orlando moving, Cleveland moving, uh, Memphis moving up, OKC maybe packaging things together. But in the end, everyone stands pat. And I actually love this pick for the Cavaliers. I think with the size Mobley has right, in, on, right now, you know obviously he's going to put a ton of weight on and just be this absolute unit when he's a couple years down the road in the NBA. But for now, he's got a slight frame. He's still young. And you could probably run him at the four because he does have a decent outside shot and perimeter skills game that actually the front court of a Mobley Allen could, I think, actually fit. And then you've got so much length and defense to make up for your smaller guards. Uh, and then Okoro Mobley Allen is a formidable front court that I think actually could be really, really fun. So I actually think this could fit. Um, and again, you take the value in the end, it gives you the flexibility of being able to move Allen or if he leaves in restrictive free agency. But for Cleveland, this is a pick that works out with fit. And uh, if Allen moves, then he could be your, your starting five. The first big surprise of the night coming from our Toronto Raptors, it seemed everyone from myself to the broadcasters saying in their words, and with the number four pick, the Raptors go with Jalen Suggs, and those were not the words out of Adam Silver's mouth. Uh, this is something you predicted, or at least noted, was on the table. The Raptors go with Scotty Barnes. 
Yeah. Uh, the moment it was shocking. And for me, I was really, really high on Jalen Suggs, especially with a lot of talk of him not having played basketball full time. And he had the vibes of a guy that felt like a Halliburton where he's just a great solid pick, but teams pass on him because they wanted to go higher upside. And he ended up being third in rookie of the year voting and was really, really solid. Uh, Suggs had a similar feel where, you know, he's going to be good right away. And the ceiling is great. And it seems like a guy who holds a grudge and wants to beat every team that passes on him. So in that moment, it was a bit of an, oh no, but then you get to thinking Scotty Barnes, despite his major limitations, the fact that right now you could compare him to a Ben Simmons where, and even like the stats aren't the same. He's probably a lower level Ben Simmons coming out of college, which, which would worry you as a fan. But then you think about the intangibles firstly, that he is everyone's favorite guy. He is a culture changer. He brings in, everyone gets along with him. He works incredibly hard, um, which is something you could not say about Ben Simmons coming out of college. We already knew that he was taking days off at LSU and Scotty doesn't do that. He's going to come here and he's going to work hard. And that fits right in with the Raptors culture. And then the amount of defense they have now is kind of stupid with OG, with Scotty Barnes, with Siakam, the wings are interchangeable. Like no one should be getting paint penetration at all with these guys on the perimeter. It's really, really exciting in that regard. It also makes Siakam a little bit more expendable. And I was actually surprised when we got to the Golden State picks that we didn't see him on the move. I thought that could have been in play. We have yet to see it now, but for the Raptors fans out there, you got to get over this really quick if you were high on Suggs because Barnes is coming and he's not going to want to see on Twitter uh, all of the negative energy. So let's support this kid because I think he's got tremendous upside on both sides of the floor. Um, and he just seems like a great kid as well. So I'm really looking forward to having him in Toronto. And I'll add, all of a sudden, thinking about Kyle Lowry's future, the Lakers have now acquired a point guard in Russell Westbrook. The if I'm Kyle Lowry, I want to get nowhere near the Philadelphia 76ers right now with the Ben Simmons situation, as we've talked about earlier. That really just leaves the Miami Heat as a potential spot to go. And I think the Raptors send a message by having a guard and a forward to pick between and picking the forward. Who knows? But I think it it was hard to imagine a starting raptors roster that had lowry van fleet suggs uh trent jr oh boy and excuse me i'm forgetting who our last year's first first round pickup was malachi malachi that couldn't have been our starting backcourt but i've rambled this point enough <laughs> what just lit your face up so uh, with the 16th pick, we're, we're skipping, but live right now, OKC taking Alperin Shengun from Turkish League. Uh, this was a guy that many have comp to kind of a DeMontis bonus. He's 18 years old. He won the Turkish League MVP. Um, he's incredibly skilled, high IQ. Uh, he dominates on both sides of the floor in probably the third best professional league in the world. Um, the kid has so much upside and analytical experts love him and now 
OKC with the most wild team right now put together, uh, counting their their earlier pick of Josh Giddy, who I guess we'll get to next because Suggs, like Orlando was just more than happy to have him fall into their lap. It's a great fit, good pick, solid all the way around. But Josh Giddy, really shocking, folks. I said that he had a chance to rise up boards, especially when Memphis made that trade with New Orleans to go up to 10. But he goes all the way up to six at six, eight. He's big. He's tall. He sees over players. Great playmaker. Um, I was watching a lot of his Australian highlights the last couple of weeks. He looks really solid. And then the big stories coming out of camp for him was he was going toe to toe with all of the vets on the Australian Olympic team and holding his own. He was working Matisse Thibel in practices, which is really impressive because Thibel is probably one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. Uh, and Joe Ingles has been a mentor to him. So now you have Giddy, Shea, Lou Dort, Pokashevsky and Shengun, a really wacky, um, analytically driven starting five. That is going to be so much fun. That's already my NBA League Pass team of choice for this upcoming season. Shengun, a bit of a throwback to the old ages of bigs, but I think he has the skills to be able to step it outside as well. So I'm really excited to see what this kind of freaky team is going to mash together and bring. And if you're OKC, right, you can just continue to take swing after swing. And now the shortest guy on their, in their starting five is Lou Dort. And he's a defensive stalwart. So really, really fun kind of lineup we've got from them. Yeah. Is that an international starting five or I'm, there's one player I'm blanking out on there that you just said, but I know the other four. Well, Shay and Lou are Canadian and then yeah. Giddy from Australia and then Pokushevsky yeah. from wherever. And then Shangun from Turkey. So yeah, really fun international starting five, but also just so much length and talent and def- and two-way ability there that I really love. <laughs> yeah, I love that strategy from OKC of you have all these first overall draft or first round draft picks. Well, just keep looking for that slight diamond in the rough. And if you keep swinging on it, like eventually one of these is going out of the park. More surprises, honestly, in, in this top 10, we moved to seven golden state, taking a big swing of their own. They go with Jonathan Kaminga, who basically two games through the G league bubble. Some people had him going number one, just simply because of the frame and the, unbelievable physical ability that this kid this kid has you worry about the intangibles you worry a little bit about the feel for the game and he was really inefficient uh in the end in the g league bubble but he's a guy that essentially does everything you want out of what you want andrew wiggins to do on the defensive end but he's bigger and quicker so he's kind of your lockup guy you can put beside draymond steph clay whoever you have so much shooting just between those two guys um, and then he's got the upside to be able to connect him and Wiseman on a similar timeline so that when this core run with Golden State eventually runs out, you can roll right into those two guys. I like the swing here. The, the bet that Golden State is taking is that their culture and their professionalism and maturity with their top guys is going to trickle down to Kaminga because he has those off-court worries um, that he can really – grow underneath them and evolve like you know Draymond's gonna immediately take him under his wing and so it's it's a good upside pick for the Warriors especially knowing what they then did at 14 taking Moses Moody who's a little bit more of an established product uh again a great two-way guard he can shoot it it's a bit more of a win now pick so I like them taking a swing and then also going solid with Moody who was a guy they actually thought about taking at seven so they were delighted to have him drop to 14 according to Adrian Wojnarowski. 
I also heard from that same source they were looking for a trade up until the last minute with that seventh pick. So having those players now instead of the picks, I don't know how that affects the value that they had. I do. I don't think we discussed. I remember reading a headline around a week ago that Clay Curry and Draymond spoke to management and request a win now trade move with their future value assets it's definitely still on the table for anything that's out there but for now i actually don't mind the picks that get made i think with kaminga the upside's there that he's still a valuable asset that you could package with wiseman and maybe another pick down the road to make a win now move all right that takes us to pick number eight i've got absolutely nothing to say so tell me about franz wagner yeah again uh the brother younger brother of mo wagner uh they're now both going to be in Orlando together, which is pretty cool. And Franz gets to uh, brag about his spot in the draft much higher than his brother who got taken 25th. Orlando, low-key a huge winner of this draft, getting Suggs at five without having to move down and then getting Wagner at eight. Uh, two really smart, high IQ basketball players. Again, Wagner is a guy who plays really, really solid defense as a baseline, which is what we know Orlando loves. But then he can be a guy that stretches the floor, makes the right plays um, off the catch, even can run a little bit of pick and roll. So I think it's a great fit in there with a lot of their athletic scoring um, and then athletic defending guys with Cole Anthony, Chumo Kiki, uh, Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, stuff like that. Um, I think the two picks they got here really are going to start to generate offense for them. Uh, while still being defensively reliable. And, and this Orlando team just accelerated their timeline a whole lot more quickly uh, with those two picks. I love them. And uh, Sacramento and Memphis at nine and 10, I'm sure we're not happy to see him go. But they made a do. Yep. Uh, Sacramento taking Davion Mitchell at nine. He fell a little bit more than some people were expecting. Uh, actually a couple of those, those high scoring shorter guards fell a little bit more than we were expecting. Um, but nonetheless, a great pick for Sacramento, uh, defensively driven. You would think Davian Mitchell, a guy who was constantly picking up the other team's best guard. I loved in the draft. It came up his nickname from his teammates was off night because that's what he always made the other team's best player have. Uh, he's just, he's committed to the defensive end. And great highlights of him absolutely stuffing up Cade in, in some one-on-one -on -one action in, in, some, in their game against Oklahoma State. So it's a great pick to fit him with De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, who are a little bit more offensively driven guards. Um, and Davion also can step outside and hit down an open shot. So I like the fit there with Sacramento. And then uh, with the Memphis, obviously this is a New Orleans pick, but it's being made by Memphis in that trade they made. Uh, earlier this week, they go and get Zaire Williams, who is also a little bit off the board and earlier than many people thought. But again, this was a top five talent coming out of high school into the college. And so you believe with his size, his frame, his shooting ability, even though he had an off year at Stanford, at Stanford, which is typically a weaker school and he had a bit of a tougher year, but with better teammates, with better spacing in the NBA, his frame, his talent is going to take over and he's going to fit in really nicely with this Memphis team beside Ja, beside Dylan Brooks. They finally have a wing that has a huge upside. Um, obviously, Kyle Anderson's really solid, but to move forward, Zaire Williams could be a great kind of Mikel Bridges type piece 
that they could have moving forward. And it fits in really well with their team and their timeline. All right. Penny's racing soon. So let's race through this. All right. Sounds good. Uh, we've got book Knight who rose in a lot of mock drafts and then fell tonight. Um, I'm sure Charlotte's happy to grab him a great shooter to put beside LaMelo and just really space the floor for that Charlotte team. Uh, and then we had two Canadians going back to back at 12 and 13, Josh Primo, the youngest player in the draft way off the board, but San Antonio obviously really loved him in their workouts. And then Chris Duarte, the oldest player in the draft, then going right after Primo uh, going to Indiana who love who I guess Indiana thinks they're closer to winning than a lot of us think they are because Duarte was a pick that a lot of contenders were looking at because he, you know, he can come in and play now on both sides of the floor. Again, great shooter um, and a great defender, uh, but happy Canadian basketball, right? That's two guys, maybe four years in, from now in Paris uh, could round out a, a nice looking Olympic roster. 15, we saw uh, <laughs> coming in just a little bit earlier. Uh, Corey Kispert to the Washington Wizards and straight up here he's kind of like your your JJ Redick your uh, Kyle Korver uh, but he can do even a little bit more than that with some of the stuff he does he just he runs around screens but he can create a little bit off of uh, actions off of screens and I think that's a really solid pick there at 15 so not much more you can say about Corey Kispert and really like we're continuing to follow the picks as they come in, but uh, the top 15, I think the biggest surprise of this entire draft night is the lack of trades that have happened. I mean, you've got Shengun at 16 and then you've got Trey Murphy who just went to uh, new Orleans, I guess at 17, which I like the fit there uh, a six, nine guard who will be able to play two ways and, and run and gun with Zion. But um, I guess we can wait right here and see this OKC pick come in, see what else, who else they're going to take a big swing on. And, and I think that'll probably be good for us. So uh, I guess moving forward, it's going to be fun to see how these guys develop. They had a lot of talk tonight about, of course, the 84 draft, the, 96 draft with Kobe and then the 2003 draft. Those are probably the three greatest draft classes we've had. Um, and so this one though is projected to be up there and that's exciting. There's a lot of great talent here and um, the NBA has had the most talent it's probably ever had since uh, before the expansion in the eighties. So it's a great time to be an NBA basketball fan and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what a lot of these guys can do. So as we continue to wait for this OKC pick, I guess we'll change gears and shout out uh, women's rowing, the eights winning a gold medal while we were off in this hour watching the NBA draft. And then Penny's coming up here for the 100-meter freestyle. So looking forward to watching that. Um, the Yeah, she's starting in one minute. So this OKC pick is in. I don't know if we're going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm but, reading a Woj bomb saying Trey Mann at the top of the board at this moment for this pick. Oh, I like it. Uh, similar to Terrence Mann, he provides good two-way action and, and is a off-ball creator, um, good cutter, solid pick for OKC there. That's a little bit more of a, a solid pick as opposed to the swings they may have taken earlier in the draft. 
my computer is starting to glitch on me. My other monitor is going. It might be a, t- a sign that uh, it's time to wrap things up. All right. So <laughs> good luck to Penny. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this one. Max, I'm going to hand it off to you to take us out. Go, Penny, go. Sports Next Door signing off.